Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast for Book 14, Chapter 18. Tolstoy ridicules historians again for ascribing purpose and greatness to the random and disastrous retreat of the French. Do you think his version of events is one-sided? Is he guilty of misinterpreting history as well? What do you make of the quote, there is only one step from the sublime to the ridiculous? And is Tolstoy right to assert that greatness can only be achieved through simplicity, goodness and truth? Kara Kikar says, I googled the phrase from sublime to ridiculous and it appears to predate Tolstoy. That's good information. Interestingly, Napoleon himself is said to have quoted it. When I think of the phrase I conjure religion and mysticism, the fancy get up of, of a religious figure, either triggering reverence to the believers or confused curiosity to the unbelievers, the one step being the belief in the sanctity of the ritual. I think it's interesting that Tolstoy should admonish those who raise up Napoleon as great and then offer only religion as the true greatness. To my sensibilities, religion would not be spared the derision. Twisted Everywhere says, Man, Tolstoy is not going to miss any opportunity to shit on Napoleon. He seems quite bitter. Doesn't this foray into Russia ultimately lead to Napoleon's downfall? I need to brush up on my history. Rybred Egg says, We meet again. Me, seeing Tolstoy is rambling again in this chapter. Um, yeah, rambling. Good old Tolstoy ramble. I think we just move right along to chapter 19 today. And, uh, get on with our lives. 19, what's that in Roman numerals? Uh, wait, 19, really? I feel like that's um, and the, there is no greatness where simplicity, goodness, and truth are absent, and there is no ah okay, cool. We are up to nineteen. Holy cow, that went quick. All right, let's read chapter nineteen. What Russian, reading the account of the last part of the campaign of eighteen twelve, has not experienced an uncomfortable feeling of regret, dissatisfaction, and perplexity? Who has not asked himself how it is that the French were not all captured or destroyed when our three armies surrounded them in superior numbers, when the disordered French, hungry and freezing, surrendered in crowds, and when, as the historians relate, the aim of the Russians was to stop the French, to cut them off and capture them all? How was it that the Russian army, which when numerically weaker than the French had given battle at Borodino, did not achieve its purpose when it had surrounded the French on three sides, and when its aim was to capture them all? Can the French be so enormously superior to us that when we had surrounded them with superior forces we could not beat them? How could that happen? History, or what is called by that name, replying to these questions says that this occurrence because Kutuzov or Tomasov or Shikharov and this man and that man did not execute such and such manoeuvres. But why did they not execute those manoeuvres? And why, if they were guilty of not carrying out a prearranged plan, were they not tried and punished? But even if we admitted that Kutuzov, Chikarov, and others were the cause of the Russian failures, it is still incomprehensible why the position of the Russian army being what it was at Krasnoe and at the Berzina, in both cases we had superior forces, the French army with its marshals, kings, and emperor was not captured, if that was what the Russians aimed at. The explanation of this strange fact given by Russian military historians to the effect that Kutuzov hindered an attack is unfounded, 
for we know that he could not restrain the troops from attacking at Vyazma and Tarotino. Why was the Russian army with which with inferior forces had withstood the enemy in full strength at Borodino, defeated at Krosnoi, and the Berezina by the disorganized crowds of the French when it was numerically superior, if the aim of the Russians consisted in cutting off and capturing Napoleon and his marshals, and that aim was not merely frustrated, but all attempts to attain it were not shamefully baffled, then this last period of the campaign is quite rightly considered by the French to be a series of victories, and quite wrongly considered victorious by Russian historians. The Russian military historians, in so far as they submit the claims of logic, must admit that conclusion, and in spite of of their lyrical rhapsodies about valour, devotion, and so forth, must reluctantly admit that the French retreat from Moscow with a series of victories for Napoleon and defeats for Kutuzov. But, putting national vanity entirely aside, one feels that such a conclusion involves a contradiction since the series of French victories brought the French complete destruction, while the series of French uh, of Russian defeats led to the total destruction of their enemy and the liberation of their country. The source of this contradiction lies in the fact that the historians studying the events from the letters of the sovereigns and the generals from memoirs, reports, projects and so forth have attributed to this last period of the War of 1812 an aim that never existed, namely that of cutting off and capturing Napoleon with his marshals and his army. There never was or could have been such an aim, for it would have been senseless and, and, and its attainment quite impossible. It would have been senseless first because Napoleon is disorganized. Sorry, because Napoleon's disorganized army was flying from Russia with all possible speed. That is to say, was doing just what every Russian desired. So, what was the use of performing various operations on the French who were running away as fast as they possibly could? Secondly, it would have been senseless to block the passage of men whose whole energy was directed to flight. Thirdly, it would have been senseless to sacrifice one's own troops in order to destroy the French army, which, without external interference, was destroying itself at such a rate that, though its path was not blocked, it could not carry across the frontier more than it actually did in December, namely a hundredth part of its original army. Fourthly, it would have been senseless to wish to take captives, the emperor, kings, and dukes, whose capture would have been in the highest degree embarrassing for the Russians, as the more adroit diplomatists of the time, Joseph de Maistre and others, recognised. Still more senseless would have been the wish to capture army corps of the French when our own army had melted away to half before reaching Krasnoi and a whole division would have been needed to convoy the corps of prisoners, and when our men were not always getting full rations and the prisoners already taken were perishing of hunger. Although all the profound plans about cutting off and capturing Napoleon and his army were like the plan of a market gardener who, when driving out of his garden, a cow that has trampled down the beds he had planted should run to the gate and hit the cow on the head. The only thing to be said in excuse of that gardener would be that he was very angry. But not even that could be said for those who drew up this project, for it was not they who had suffered from the trampled beds, but beside the fact that cutting off Napoleon with his army would have been senseless, it was impossible. It was impossible first because, as experience shows, that a three-mile movement of columns on a battlefield never coincides with the plans. The probability of Shikharov, Kutuzov and Wit Jensen effecting a junction on time at an appointed place was so remote as to be tantamount to impossibility, as in fact thought Kutuzov. 
who he received the plan when he received the plan remarked that diversions planned over great distances do not yield the desired results secondly it was impossible because the paralyzed to paralyse the momentum of, with which Napoleon's army was retiring, incomparably greater forces than the Russians possessed would have been required. Thirdly, it was impossible because the military term to cut off has no meaning. One can cut off a slice of bread, but not an army. To cut off an army to bar its road is quite impossible, for there is always plenty of room to avoid capture, and there is the night when nothing can be seen, as the military scientists might convince themselves by the example of Krasnoe and of the Brezina. It is only possible to capture prisoners if they agree to be captured, just as it is only possible to catch a swallow if it settles on one's hand. Men can only be taken prisoners if they surrender according to the rules of strategy and tactics, as the Germans did, but the French troops quite rightly did not consider that this suited them, since death by hunger and cold awaited them in flight or captivity alike. Fourthly and chiefly, it was impossible because they never... Never since the world began has a war been fought under such conditions as those that obtained in 1812, and the Russian army, in its pursuit of the French, strained its strength to the utmost and could not have done more without destroying itself. During the movement of the Russian army from Tarotino to Krasnoye, it lost 50,000 sick and stragglers. That is a number equal to the population of a large provincial town. Half the men fell out of the army without a battle. And it is of this period of a campaign when... The army lacked boots and sheepskin coats, was short of provisions and without vodka and was camping out at night for months in the snow with 15 degrees of frost when there were only seven or eight hours of daylight and the rest was night in which the influence of discipline cannot be maintained when men were taken into that religion region sorry, of death where discipline fails not for a few hours only as in a battle but for months where they were every moment frightened Fighting, fighting death from hunger and cold when half the army perished in a single month. It is of this period of the campaign that the historians tell us how Milorodovich should have made a flank march to such a such place. Tomasov to another place and Shikarov should have crossed more than knee-deep snow to somewhere else and how so-and-so routed and cut off the French and so-and-so and so on and so on. The Russians, half of whom died did all that could and should have been done to attain an end worthy of the nation, and they are not to blame because other Russians, sitting in warm rooms, proposed that they should do what was impossible. All that strange contradiction now difficult to understand between the facts and the historical accounts only arises because the historians dealing with the matter have written the history of the beautiful words and sentiments of various generals, and not the history of the events. To them, the words of Milorodovich seem very interesting, and so do their surmises and the rewards this or that general received, but the question of those 50,000 men who were left in hospitals and in graves does not even interest them, for it does not come within the range of their investigation. Yet, one need only discard the study of the reports and general plans, and consider the movement of those hundreds of thousands of men who took a direct part in the events, and all the questions that seem insoluble, easily and simply receive an immediate and certain solution. The aim of cutting off Napoleon and his army never existed except in the imaginations of a dozen people. It could not exist because it was senseless and unattainable. The people had a single aim, to free their land from invasion. That aim was attained in the first place of itself as the French ran away, and so it was only necessary not to stop their flight. Secondly, it was attained by the guerrilla warfare which was destroying the French. 
and thirdly by the fact that a large Russian army was following the French, ready to use its strength in case their movement stopped. The Russian army had to act like a whip to a running animal, and the experienced driver knew it was better to hold the whip raised as a menace than to strike the running animal on the head. Alrighty, there we go, there's another chapter for you, and another book, that's the end of book 14, so we'll be kicking off book 15 tomorrow, always exciting to do so. Thanks for listening, see you tomorrow.